The Outspoken Bible. Conversations about the Word. A podcast from Scottish Bible Society. Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 15 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart and I'm joined by Jen Robertson and Neil Glover. Good day to you both. Good day. Good day, good day. We're, we're not we're not plumping for morning or afternoon. We're just... That's that was. Well, I'm glad you noticed that because I, I thought quite carefully. How do I say hello to both of them without just saying hello? Yes. Good day. Of course, it could be the evening, but anyway, that, that's, that's you. A, that's you, a flaw. Were, you went slight BBC RP there. Do you think so? Yeah. yeah. Good day. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that was... you, yes. Previously, before we hit the, the button, you, you compared me to Hyacinth Bouquet. I did. Which I, I did. take as a compliment. I think Patricia <laughs> Routledge is amazing. <laughs> Anyhow, to correspondence, we have an email and it's regarding Glover's Others. Hurrah! And it's from regular correspondent John Hodge. Um, He writes, and I've written this down in a way that, that I'm basically going to interact with his email as he writes. He begins, sorry, it's me again. Well, I would just like to say at this point, please, John, never apologise for <laughs> correspondence. It's what we're trying to encourage. We, we like that sense of community. So please do not apologise if you get in touch with us. He goes on. This seems too easy, but it looks like the link is a well and the drawing of water. Neil, is he right? Correct. Correct. Well done, John. Well done, John. Yeah, they're all about wells. wells. And I'm really glad... Well, I'll tell you why we're really glad when we get to Glover's Others. Oh, okay. Yeah, so congratulations, John. We um, we, we realised before we started recording, we, we're not sure what we've, we've promised as a prize. There so was we, a jocular we, comment about driving in the car in the back with Andrew Robertson and Neil and, and Delane. That, that, was, that was totally serious. John, in fact, I was thinking it was a contractual obligation. Mm, that's true. It's true. Maybe we need to send him something water-related. Oh, yeah. yeah. A bottle of yeah. Prime. Oh, is that that stuff that's really, really expensive? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Very popular. And is it water? I always thought that was kind of a like a high energy type thing. I think it's water, isn't it? Oh, yeah. is it? Oh, that's I even more I ridiculous. Don't, I don't want to play into that. If it, is it a charade? No, I don't is think it? we should send him a bottle of Prime. It would be ridiculous. <laughs> I'm just... I just... Young people are... Mainly young people are quite uh, interested in it. Like mm, collecting the bottles. Oh. Uh, interesting. So it's all about the um, packaging Random. rather than the content. Yeah. Interesting. That tells you something, doesn't it? Anyhow, John continues more seriously. <laughs> did we just sound like a bunch of curmudgeons and oh, middle-aged people? Well, I mean, I, I actually did hold myself back from beginning a conversation about ice, but that's yes. Let's not do. Let's not go there. Um, so, John continues more seriously. Thank many thanks for the discussion on Acts chapter nine. I was particularly challenged by Neil's thoughts on what is wrong in the Church of Scotland. What is more difficult is to work out what it means in practice for us now. Well, John, I'm not sure that we've got any further comment to make. I think the conclusion we reached was about praying, wasn't it? And seeking the holiness of God. But, um, and the, the, that's advancing, that. by the way. The, the book is nearing its completion. Sorry, uh, are you writing a book, Neil? <laughs> that's a joke. And, <laughs> yeah, but it's and, worth repeating. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wrote the chapter on the Bible, which is, uh, and I was really grateful um, to Jen Robertson and Adrian Armstrong of SBS for all their help with that but yeah it was the the stunning statistic and i think you might have said this before jen is that in scotland today more people read the bible who don't go to church than do go to church oh that is fascinating yeah yeah that i would love to drill down into how they're doing that yeah yeah well, maybe yeah. that could be a gem for another week yeah could read the research a bit more Yes, 
I mean, I think we'd be interested in knowing about that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm always fascinated by your gems, gems. There's actually, the there's actually, there's actually, but that sides sounds particularly it. interesting. It's very, so there's, there's two sides to it. One side is only one in seven people who go to church read the Bible at least once a week. Yes. And so amongst churchgoers, the amount of Bible reading is relatively low. Yeah, that that's not surprising to me. That that side of it is not is sadly not surprising. Yeah. yeah. And they reckon that number is about 205,000 people in Scotland, according wow. to Adrian. And he, the number of people who read the Bible but don't go to church is about 230,000. Fascinating. Mm. Fascinating. I was thinking this morning, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent, but I was I was uh, doing my devotional time and I was reflecting the fact that I'd quite like to begin reading through the book of Psalms because I, I do that occasionally and thought I'd quite like to just... And I was thinking, here's an idea for SPS, I would like a, a nicely packaged... Book of the Psalms. Hmm. I have oh. one in the message. So I have I have the kind of um, Eugene Peterson Psalms, and I do mm. like that. But I would also like it in a in a more standard translation. Mm. We have. That has been occasionally talked about. Well, I think it would be... And I actually genuinely think it would be something that people who are not yet believers might yeah, be interested in. And there's in. a whole Scottish connection to the Psalms, isn't there? Culturally, yeah. historically. Yeah. Yes, David Clark, by the way, has written a book about. Yes, I've Psalms. got it. Yeah. Landscapes or something, isn't it? Landscapes and Psalms. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. A kind of Scottish route. Good. Well, thank you, thank you, John, for your email. That has please don't apologise because that has raised a rich seam of conversation and um, fueled us for future. It's like, it's like just as we got all tangential with that. One of the main bits of feedback I got when I sent draft manuscripts of the book, which I never mentioned to people, um, <laughs> was, hey, "You're not on a podcast now." Become Ooh. more focused. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Anyway, no, we're great. No, further, to no join. further comment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, that's the correspondence. Again, if you want to get in touch with us, then outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. And um, we'd love to hear from you, no matter how many times you've emailed before. Uh, we had a few adverts in the last couple of episodes, so just a quick reminder of those. Firstly, the community Bible experience is worth a look if you're looking for some material for small group study, or in fact, if you're thinking about reading through Love, Death and Resurrection with a group of people. Uh, you can find that on the resource space of the SBS website. And secondly, of course, Bibles for Bairns appeal, that's still live. So you can find out more about how to give to that, how to pray for that, and all about that on the website as well. And uh, while you're there, I would suggest have a, have a bit of a poke around the SBS website because there's a big back catalogue of resources and that will be added to in the months to come. So keep your eyes peeled. That's all for adverts for today. Uh, it is time for Glover's Others. We have heard about Bilhah, Jethro, Aaron, Balaam, Joshua, Rahab, Jephthah's daughter, Palmoni Amoni, Obed-Edom, Hagar, the three allies of David, a passage from Isaiah, Amos, and a partridge in a pear tree. No, we haven't. We've got somebody coming next. There will be a well connection. Neil, John has confirmed that link. What do you have for us today? And did you want to say any more about what John said? Who on earth are they? Where do they fit in? And what's their story? Glover's Others. B-list characters you really don't want to miss. Thank you to John. I am very relieved because I was running out of wells. There's not that many wells. There's hardly any in the New Testament. There's the woman at the well who I just didn't think qualified as a as a B-side. She's a, she's an A-lister, I think, mm-hmm. when it comes to the, the Gospels. So we're going to finish with Abimelech. Remember him? There's two Abimelechs. There's one would, in Judges. But sorry, uh, sorry to interrupt, but would, would I be pronouncing that Abimelech? Yeah, it's it's... 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Right. I mean, it, no, having... I don't, sorry, I didn't mean that to correct you. I just is that the same person we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It's it's a Hebrew thing. Nobody knows how mm. it's really pronounced. Uh, so it might be Abimelech or Abimelech. It means uh, my father is king, mm. and um, yeah. So he he interacts with Abraham in the book of Genesis, and then after Abraham's uh, moved off the picture, he interacts with Isaac. There's a famine, and Isaac though seems to be doing well. Uh, no pun intended, and he is also drilling wells. And Isaac's men are in Abimelech's territory, and they keep drilling wells, and they keep finding them. And then um, Abimelech's, uh, sorry, Isaac's men keep finding all these wells. Abimelech's men are getting quite bothered about this, and Abimelech could at this point become quite enraged. Who's this guy that's coming? But he recognizes that there's something about Isaac that's a little bit special. His crops are growing and he seems to have this ability to find water. So instead of attacking Isaac, instead he makes a peace treaty with him. And for me, Abimelech represents people who position themselves slightly outside, in this case Israel, slightly outside the place of faith, but recognize that there is something going on here. And I really like that because we're going to hit that later on when we arrive in the city of Antioch. There's something about these people that makes others go, hmm. And it's not because they're particularly clever. It's not because they're particularly proud or arrogant. It is because they seem to have found water. And I like that as an image, the church, that people might look at us and go, these people seem to have found water in a dry place. And we're intrigued as to what is going on. Very nice. Very nice indeed. And from now on, will there be something else? Yeah, we're going to have to come up with another link. Uh So, uh, yeah, I'm a bit intrigued. I'm I'm quite excited, though, because I was really struggling. I went through (laughs) the concordance for the word well, and it was all the adverb, you've done well. I couldn't find any actual (laughs) well wells. Actual wells. And will there still be B-listed characters? Not necessarily. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, I think there's I think there's plenty of them. It's just they're not hanging around wells. Ah. Okay. Okay. So we don't need to change the stinger. That was my big question. Obviously. Yeah, I mean, much as I enjoy the opportunity to hear yet another Fiona Stewart jingle. <laughs> and by the way, I have to say the the one for Jen's gems, I mean, the level of frenetic activity going on in that. <laughs> It's off the chart. James, James, where are they coming from? Where did they know? Where did they see? I mean, anyone who knows about audio, it was very fun to make because I was playing around with all the different lines. It is like somebody having some kind of internal fracture going on. Yes, yes, that was that was the intention. <laughs> Good. Well, thank you so much, Neil. Um, always uh, a delight to hear about these B-list characters. Now, in the last episode, we talked about very much an A-list character, Peter, on the roof, and Cornelius. Was he would he would maybe come in as a B-lister, would he? Mm, yeah. Anyway, um, uh, and the question of how we respond when God intervenes and changes how we think about something that we have taken previously as foundational. Lots there to ponder. I've certainly been thinking about that since we last recorded. Uh, today, we rejoin Paul and the church at. Neil, did you just call it Antichoch? No, did I? <laughs> Maybe I did. <laughs> it wasn't deliberate. I didn't want to. I didn't want to butt in again and ask about pronunciation. <laughs> I think you said Antichoch. Anyway, 
Antioch, Antioch. Um, we are reading from Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through to chapter 12. You've ruined 12. the rest of the podcast for me now. Every I'm time sorry. we say the word. I know, I'm sorry, but you don't Antioch said it. was one of the largest cities in the known world. I know. Well, the good thing is we've got it, uh, we've got it, on, uh, we've got it on tape so we can check. Um, we're reading Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through to 12, 24. As ever, there is a link in the show notes. So if you do want to read it before listening any further, now is your moment to pause the episode and read or listen to those verses. So Antioch, I'm, I'm going to stop saying it because it, it's just going to make you both laugh. Antioch, um, we we find ourselves at the beginning of this section. Uh, it, it Starting from a place that's really quite a serious place. We've talked before about the persecution, the scattering that happens once Stephen is martyred. Um, and it says in my NIV version, it says that they traveled, the, the, the um, believers traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only amongst the Jews. What do we think about the church in Antioch? What would it have been like? Would we like to have been part of it? It's a big, busy city, isn't it? But that's from what I read. There's like five hundred thousand mm-hmm. people there. It's it's large. There's lots of people from different nations and different faiths. And there's a saying. I wondered if the church is it's starting to change the way that culture is. It's opening out as well. So some of them begin to speak to Greeks also. It's not just yes. the Jews anymore. So this is quite a significant chapter in this sort of, although we've just had Peter having the vision, this is yes. maybe the more the reality of it working out. Although I think there's a bit of controversy about these Greeks, you know, were the, were the people who were already connected with the Jewish faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't just, they didn't, wasn't, they didn't have any connection with the idea of who God was. But the church in this big multicultural city is also changing and broadening. Y- yes. Yes, I mean, I think that's interesting, isn't it? There's something about the context that is, in, is shaping the practice, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it's going to become a real... So, so, it's, so if you have this message, this, this, this message that is transformational and good news, it, it it almost feels as though it sort of starts to spill out, isn't it, into mm-hmm. into the more mm-hmm. cosmopolitan? Yeah, but all but all der- but all happening because of Jesus. The Lord's hand was uh-huh. with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Yes, hmm. I think it's so important. I think this is such an important move. We we almost gloss over it sometimes because we we talk as isn't it nice? At last, they stopped being ethnocentric. And and they 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 discovered it was for everybody, but but what's really going on is a, an incredible sense that God was so much bigger than no not God was so much bigger than than I'd imagined because there are passages in the Old Testament about this, but there was a sense that God was breaking out the tribe that God was embracing the whole world, and regardless of whether these these Hellenists here are are kind of God-fearing Gentiles, Jew-sympathetic Gentiles, a bit like Abimelech, Abimelech or, or whether they're actually genuine Gentile, pure converts, but like Cornelius and, and that we just heard about, there's a sense that God's always pushing on the edge because Christ has died for the whole world, mm-hmm. in, as as Paul will put it in, in Romans, for all. And and this has to be given expression, but it, it's God who's always pushing out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such an important message for us in in Scotland, where our churches generally have become quite enclosed. In, in and I say that so advisedly, but but how many new people are we seeing 
coming into us from the the outside culture compared to what's happening in Antioch. Mm. And we get this idea that that the faith is only for the churchy type of, of people. And and what's going on here is they're constantly being pushed out. Yeah. Not to try and add people into the club that, to make us feel mm. good, uh-huh. but in order to give expression to the fact that Christ has died for all people, to draw all people to himself. And as you're speaking there, it's making me reflect on Luke as well and, and, and how he records it too, because we know from Luke's gospel that he, he has been quite clear from the beginning, hasn't he, that, that he wants to um, impress the impress on the, the reader the, the fact that this gospel is for everyone, mm-hmm. that it's for, the, mm-hmm. it's for the world, isn't it? So he sees the mission of Jesus very early on, as, or he describes the mission of Jesus early on as being for the whole world. Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm interested in, 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 the, in the placement of it. So it is placed immediately after the yep. Peter and Cornelius encounter and the defence of that. But yeah, you know, and even though it's you know it's sort of I suppose geographically it's a slightly unconnected. Well, but it, it is it is connected. So I read a really interesting comment that um, Luke doesn't so much arrange his material chronologically as geographically. Um, so, for example, the incident we're about to get to at the end of this chapter to do with uh, Herod almost certainly happened several years before the Antioch mission. So it's a move back in time. But the reason that it's important is because what what Luke is trying to do is geographically move from Jerusalem yeah. into Samaria, into Antioch, into Asia Minor, across to Greece, and then eventually to Jerusalem. It's these concentric circles of movement. Now, actually, what's actually gone there is he's, he's actually trying to say, be aware that as the outside of the circle is moving out, the inside of the circle is still important. So he has to go and quickly attend to what's going on in Jerusalem. And then he's going to keep Did you mean moving out to Rome, Neil? You said moving out to Jerusalem. Oh, yes, to Rome. Rome. (laughs) Rome's Rome's the the big big end. Or Roma, as we might call it. (laughs) I don't know what I'm going to call it today because I'm calling all sorts of places all sorts of strange names. But interestingly, as the church develops and grows... There's quite a churchy moment, isn't there, when the news of this reached the church in Jerusalem mm. and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. It's like you can imagine them like, oh, have you heard what's happening in, uh-huh. in Antioch? No, more of this, more of this spreading out, more of this Gentile stuff. But I'm so grateful to Jesus that they sent Barnabas because mm. he was just the right person. Imagine if they'd sent someone who wasn't so encouraging and positive and such a yeah. good person. It yes. could all have been suppressed, but he goes and he's yes. like, "Oh yeah, keep going," and encourages them. He's he's the only person in Acts who is called good, mm. specifically. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's a fascinating character. Um, I mean, I was I was thinking about what would our equivalent, not a, not an equivalent kind of person, but the equivalent of of that thing, Jen, of being sent to go and check out what's happening. Mm. Would we have an equivalent to that? Depends on your your church structure I suppose doesn't it I remember it? when I used to, when I first started leading SU holidays there was a visit from oh, the peer visit from head office <laughs> <laughs> and I think they still do that but it now seems far more uh, friendly and supportive but when I was about 24 it was quite it was quite this is the day this is the day of the inspection and uh, it, you know and and it was quite you know quite a lot of comments were made I remember one of the first camps I did though the only comment the person made was that my book stall needed a bit more attention because some of the books were curling and I thought oh well if that's the only problem then it must be going okay curling books <laughs> curling books on the book stall not books on curling well that would be a very different kind of event <laughs> uh, Tom Thanks Allen see. Tom Allen was like this 
in the Scottish context, minister in the 1950s, um, he he had the trust of everybody. Yes. Um, from all different parts of the of the church, and he was passionate, passionate evangelist, and he people often think about how we missed having he died quite young how we missed having such a kind of broad figure there's mm. something in that mm. i think there's something in that for the times we're living in mm. where it can be quite divisive and despite the fact that we live in a in a very you know connected communicative environment mm. you can kind of check out what other people are up to by looking at their online presence but there is a role for somebody who who carries that sort of um yeah trust trust across different I understand what you're saying about having that person that comes into the big picture situation. But we can all be that person in the circles we move in. Mm. You're just like, what was was the phrase? Encourage them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Mm -hmm. I've been trying really hard when I, I've been praying a lot more for various reasons. This is maybe a story for another time. But um, because I'm praying more, I'm, I'm praying for people more and then I've been trying yeah. to message them if I'm praying for them or if someone I say to someone I'm praying for you I say to them I really am going to pray for you because I've probably mm. spent a lot of my life saying that to people and not actually doing mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and so I always make sure I just do it in the instant I've promised just <laughs> to make sure and then so we can all encourage people to to keep loving Jesus with all their hearts it's just, yes it, well mm. it's it, I mean it really all, all that we're talking about here is communication right yeah mm. It's about communicating with one another, but it's also about how we communicate through prayer. Yeah. So, so we're actually we're inviting the Holy Spirit into that into those moments. Yeah. And f- yeah, for, and yeah. it and it's the whole, it's the old cliche, isn't it, that it's quite hard to criticize or talk about somebody that you're praying for. Yeah. Yeah. And all impossible really. Isn't I mean, it? In my the year I've had and my mental health is, was so poor and still can be not not as poor as it was, but you know it's an ongoing. This part of me, and I have to um, um the thing I've. I've learned that I'm so learned. Anyway, I've learned that I'm so loved by Jesus. That I, I struggle over the word learned because it's not really a learning, it's a knowing. Knowing mm-hmm. the love Jesus has for me is totally the source that the love comes for other people. Mm. That sounds quite banal now I've said it, but it's been quite profound no. for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I don't think it's banal at all. Yeah. Not at all. Um, so yeah, so so, Barnabas, so so I think that that's that's been interesting think, thinking about that, and it's interesting thinking about the personality type that he had because clearly he, he he had something that was a a God given characteristic towards encouragement, but he he was quite specific to this context as well. So it's it's quite important that somebody goes to check. It's out also what's another challenge at this stage. for me in this. Sorry, Fiona, I just when I was thinking, no, 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 he no, gets no. there and he's glad. You know, I quite often go places. And I'm like, oh, for goodness' sake. <laughs> You know, this is so badly run. Oh, this could be so much better. That's that's my kind uh-huh. of default kind of mm-hmm. rather than and there's a place there's a place for being positively critical, isn't there? Like to say, well, but this could mm-hmm. be better if you're involved mm-hmm. in the thing. Rather than saying, Oh, look at all the look at the positive stuff here, look at what's happening and what Jesus is doing and being glad in heart. Not that you'd never change anything, because that would just be ridiculous. I'm sure Barnabas was involved in planning things and changing things, but going into things with a more positive approach. I, mean, I listened to a podcast recently and I intentionally listened to it. I didn't want to listen to it because the person on the podcast I really struggle with. But I listened to it and I thought, you're saying some good stuff about Jesus. 
and actually meant to uh-huh. message them and encourage them so maybe I'll do that but if I do that and they're listening to the podcast then they'll know that's what I was listening to anyway <laughs> unlikely they're listening to my podcast um but it's it's yeah having a different um having a Barnabas approach to things mm-hmm. you go into well mm-hmm. me well for me yeah. be more Barnabas <laughs> the hashtag be more Barnabas um yeah, so he so he goes he goes to sleep for Saul, and when he finds him, he brings him to Antioch from from Tarsus, and so then there's this lovely thing of the two of them working together with this um, quite diverse church. Yeah, can I just say one thing before we move on from Barnabas? <laughs> yes, because I was I was just trying. <laughs> I knew to... you weren't concentrating. You were looking at a book. <laughs> I was because I was wanting to check that William Barclay gets quoted in John Stott's commentary on this um, was from Wishaw. I think he is. I think he is. Probably Wishaw's greatest ever. John Barclay's from my dad. My dad's from Wishaw. Second, William Barclay's <laughs> Wishaw's second greatest ever biblical exegete. Well, my, my dad's not a biblical exegete, so yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, he said that Barnabas is the man with the biggest heart in the whole of the Bible. I love that. Love that. Um, yes, so, and so he, the man with the biggest heart in the Bible goes to find Saul who's in Tarsus at this point. He we, brings we better, him... Sorry, we better be careful, apart from Jesus. I think we have to... Say, yes, yes. Uh, clearly. Jesus is yes. unique. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Sorry. So for the third time of... <laughs> he goes to... <laughs> he goes to Tarsus, he brings Paul because he needs somebody to work alongside. I love this. It's great. Because firstly, we forget Paul has disappeared for 10 years here. Mm. They talk about Paul's lost decade. Um and it strikes me so often in, in those who, who work in any kind of kind of Christian endeavor can be overwhelmed. It doesn't matter if we're full time or whether we, we work um, doing something um, at, alongside our, our regular employment. We can be overwhelmed. And Barnabas immediately sees in the city of 500,000 people, Chinese people there, there's well, Persian at least, there's Indians, there's Jews, there's Italians. Um, the, Sorry, can I interrupt? Is that because it was a trading city? Yeah, yeah. So the, the thing you've got to get about Antioch, or anyone has to get about Antioch, is it's on a river, the Orientes yeah. River, um, and it's at that corner. You know, if you if you imagine the Mediterranean to be a square, then the the bit that that goes up that with Israel and Lebanon and so on, and then sort of northeast, yeah, and then cuts across to end up uh, becoming a uh, Turkey. That mm. is in that corner. It's in that space. Yeah. yeah. So it would be on. It would be on significant trade routes. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Um, so no. So everybody's coming there. They're they're coming to this huge metropolitan city, and Barnabas immediately realizes there's a huge amount of work, and his first attempt his first move though is not to start the work it's to build the team mm-hmm. and he consciously goes he goes to find a Paul he's many many miles away he probably hasn't seen him for 10 years but he deliberately goes and says and, and, and what an eye for talent what an eye for mm-hmm. gift well maybe he didn't see it he saw something in him and uh, he goes and gets him and builds the team and one of the things that challenges me here in, in my work is I'm thinking who am I going to go and find that's going to come and and help us here. Mm-hmm. That's Barnabas's first move. Mm-hmm. And that, that is quite a significant question. I, I think um, we can sometimes wait for people to come or wait for the Lord to send the right people. And mm. that, there's nothing wrong with that because you, you want to pray for the workers of the harvest, yeah, yeah. etc. But but I, I like that idea, Neil, that you maybe would you would go and look for somebody, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, and it might be somebody that oh yeah, I remember that person. Mm-hmm. 
they would be great for this. Yeah. And so yeah. easy for us to do that. You know, we just message them. But he, he goes to Tarsus. I've just been to work, see how far, two, over 200 kilometres. Now, uh-huh. he takes that uh-huh. time out of which must have been a very busy life. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know this work with the church in Antioch to go and get him? Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. see, it's so worthwhile. They'll take time out to go and get him. Yes, uh, but that challenges me though. I think I think I absolutely agree with what you've just said. But I'm wondering if the challenge for us, the communication is easy, but I wonder if if the challenge for us is to get to know people well enough to know who the right person is, because we we're living in such a fast paced communicative environment that sometimes you end up working with the wrong people because they're just the ones who are there. Mm. Yeah. Because we've not yeah. taken the time to really understand somebody else's gifting. And Barnabas, right from the start, does, doesn't he? We, we uh-huh. covered that last time, that people are sceptical, but Barnabas has this ability to see inside. It's almost a bit like Saul anointing, Samuel anointing David, that, that he has this sense of God sees the heart. It's such an important journey, this. You know, mm. we often talk about Paul's conversion on the Damascus Rose as, as the turning point, but arguably this is the turning point mm. because... Mm-hmm. Had it just been the Damascus Rose, then then Paul would be in relative obscurity, um, being preaching around Tarsus. It takes this journey to bring mm. him back into the life of the church that eventually will lead to this such pivotal figure, arguably the most important figure after the apostles in the life of the church. And it's all because of this journey. Yes. That day yeah. where Barnabas goes, I need to go to Tarsus. Goes and finds him. Yeah, yeah. Now, Antioch, famously, I think one of the things that, that many people will, will know, Antioch is the place where people are first called Christians. Um, I've always sort of had in the back of my head, I think because somebody said this at some point, that it was a nickname, but we're thinking that it's something a bit deeper than that. I think it's quite significant. In the, I mean, it probably means Christ followers or those of the household of Christ. I like that, in, in Christ's home and part of his family. Um, but it, it means they're different from Judaism now. They're seen as a different religious, a different a different religion, a different faith group, um, not just a variant of something else, uh-huh. which also makes them puts them more at risk um, yep. of being persecuted, I suppose, and um, also means they're going to ha- they now have to work out what that means. Mm-hmm. They're not just a well, they are in some ways a continuation of Judaism, aren't they? But what what interpretation of the old of what we know as the old testament what that means for them there's lots it's a big big change isn't it although it's just a wee a wee sentence it's interesting as well it's a, it's a word that very rarely appears in the new testament it mm. only becomes common currency much later on and it's a word that's given to the christians and as you said i've sometimes heard it was used as a kind of derisory term but as you mentioned it, it somebody i think it's john stott said the antioch people had a reputation for quick wit and it mm. might have been that you know, it's just a nickname that they gave. Yeah. But I, I sense a certain ambiguity towards the, the title. I think the Christians would have owned it more positively uh-huh. if they felt good about it. Uh-huh. Maybe they weren't happy to be thought of as being a sect, mm. like the Herodians or the Caesareans or, or whatever. Yes. They, they they were resistant to the idea, idea of being boxed in. Or even a religion. Mm. Maybe the yes. words become unhelpful because we're seen as a religion when we are the people of the way. We are yes. followers. Yeah. Is it, has has it been problematic for us right up to today? Yeah, yeah, mm. and I suppose it's the followers of the king, right? Because mm. because Christ would mm-hmm, be yeah. mm-hmm. the, the um the idea of Jesus as Lord, wouldn't mm. it? That uh huh, which has a has a universal feel to it. 
So he's not just lord of a particular people group, but mm. he's lord of he's lord of all. Yeah, yeah. Although it's interesting here that commentators often pick up on the fact that they seem to stop using the word Christ, which is has more of a Jewish flavour to it, although it's a, a Greek word that translates the word Messiah, um, meaning anointed one. So they 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 seem to think that they start using the word Lord here in this more Gentile context because that word Kairos um, were, would, uh, no, Kyrios, um, has more of a sense that, that Gentiles would understand it. But it's interesting, mm-hmm. of course, that they they use the, the kind of Jewish Greek term to, yeah. to pigeon, is it pigeonhole the right word? I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, categorise or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then, and then there's this incident with Agapus. Ag- sorry, Agabus, not Agapus. Um, he stood up and predicted the the famine. Jen, you you were saying you you've kind of you went down a bit of a rabbit hole when you were reading about this. Oh yeah, it was all the stuff about the famine. Like, was there really a a famine over the entire Roman world? There seemed to be a lot of dispute over that. And but there has seemed to have been numerous famines for a period of time. You know, famines kept a pe- they kept happening across the Roman world rather than the mm. whole Roman world having a famine at the one time. Right, but yes. Uh-huh. As I got distracted by all that, I thought, no, actually what really matters is they did something about it. Yes. <laughs> they didn't, you know, I'm reading about was it a famine. Actually, the people in the middle of the famine, what they needed to do was help. And the church, because of this prophecy, uh, do they act, they give, they help, and they send their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul, of course. Yes. And so, so again, it's it's a next stage, isn't it, of mm. of the church not just being about a body of people in one particular town, connected, but but actually there's there's that sense of a network of support and of, and you know supporting brothers and sisters. And that that I've only kind of come to this recently as I've been reading through Acts that that becomes quite a theme, doesn't it? The carrying of money from one place to another, mm. the looking of for gifts to support the church in Jerusalem, and Paul's role in all of that. Yeah. We kind of miss that. I think. Well, I think I've missed that often when I've read through Acts. Paul is very anxious about this in some of his letters. This is the one he refers to in his letters, a later collection. But it, it's. But I it's think obviously it's, something he's habitually doing. He, you, you know, I think I think of Paul's journeys as oh, he's off. He's off to share the gospel, which he is. Yeah. But there were also other things that were going on as he travelled. Yes, and and he he saw this as a kind of mutual exchange. Almost the Jews have given you the gospel. So kind of you need to give them something back. You've got, they had the gospel, they've shared it with you. You've got money, you've got to share that back with them. It was this kind of mm-hmm. sense of mutual exchange. Mm-hmm. But it was also something that, you know, if if Paul, imagine Paul turns up in Jerusalem. We're going to come to this in a little second. People are suspicious still of his Gentile mission. And then he he says, oh, I've got a whole lot of money for you from these people that you are suspicious of. Yeah. You know, it, it alters the kind of balance of yes. of that relationship. And Paul knows that. Uh, and then how do these Jerusalem folks feel? Because in some senses, there's from some of them at least, there's a sense of superiority, but now you're receiving money from them. So does that suddenly flip that that sense and force it to become mutual? It's, it's a really complicated space. And especially more so when we, scholars are mostly agreed that, this is almost certainly the same visit that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 2. The reason is the timing works and also because he takes Barnabas with them. Mm-hmm. Now, Paul's account of Galatians 2 has nothing to do with, with money. There's a, maybe a slight reference at the end, but it's all about circumcision. So whilst Luke is telling us 
isn't it wonderful? He brought the money. Paul's memory of this is, we came, uh, I brought Titus with me. They didn't compel Titus to be um, um, circumcised. There were some false brothers slipped in. He's managing this fraught relationship about circumcision. There's a slight hint of it where the the verse, uh, Galatians 2 verse 10, the Jerusalem folk say to Paul, don't forget the poor. And that by some commentators is taken as a reference to the fact, don't forget us, please. We, we still need money. I think it's more general than that, but I think that's definitely part of it. But it's it's a hugely socially complex visit with all sorts of layers going on. And yet it's vitally important that it's made for the overall unity of the church. Yeah, yeah. And, and Paul and uh, Barnabas didn't uh, have a fundraiser. No, they didn't. They didn't, they didn't. they didn't go for a ten-kilometer run and get people to sp- sponsor they were them. Just giving a and then gather in the money and then go. They just people just gave, or so it seems. Yes. Mm. Um, yeah. I'm being a bit facetious, but I, we do live in a culture, don't we, where that seems to be the only way to give, and we've maybe forgotten about just giving, tithing, yes, and and giving being part of our worship. Uh, something. Don't want to be too specific, but sometimes I feel you no know, people spend a huge amount of money going very far away to doing something very exciting to get money to give someone who are in need. Which I just think, well, yes. actually, if you just given the money, it would all be a lot quicker. It's a, the whole world is. It's like a Harry Enfield's a character smashing nice. He used to go on sponsored helicopter rides. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, yeah, have have we forgotten about what it means? to give as churches do we talk about it do we talk about it for me i think or do we talk about it with our young people you know is that Mm -hmm. something that yeah and it's it's grounded paul in the later collection in second corinthians talks about this he says you know he he totally grounds it within god in the beautiful verse he says um of christ he became poor that we may be rich it's in that Mm. context that he then Mm -hmm. appeals for the the yep. money to go to Jerusalem. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lots to contemplate there. Feels like that's going to be my takeaway thinking about that. Um, now, the, the narrative then shifts. Yep. Shifts mm-hmm. back to Jerusalem, shifts yep. back to Peter um, in what will be kind of the last big encounter we have with, with yeah. Peter. Peter. I know, she makes me feel a little sad. <laughs> um, but we're, we're back in Jerusalem and, and persecution is still happening. And it's particularly happening under Herod. Let's just clarify which Herod we're talking about here. So this is not the Christmas Herod. This is his nephew. Is that right? No, it's not even that. It's, uh, I think his... it's the nephew of the Easter Herod. <laughs> okay. So I think the Christmas Herod's son, so Christmas Herod's Herod the Great. I mean, they're mm-hmm. all, I've got to be hesitant, but they're all pretty awful. I mean, Wicked. really awful. I mean, yeah. they're tyrants. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, and we, uh, yeah, and the problem with the nativity play Herod is we make them into a Boohus pantomime character, yeah. but actually, yeah. it's pretty. Yeah, I mean, he's up there with Hitler Gastly. and Stalin yeah. in yeah, terms yeah. of Gastly. who uh-huh. he was. I mean, yeah. awful genocide. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so Herod, that's Herod the, Great, the Great. That's the Christmas Herod. The Easter Herod is Herod Antipas, I think, mm-hmm. I think so. and then his nephew is this Herod here, who's Herod Agrippa. Okay. Okay, okay, and he is a kind of puppet king. Mm, yeah, 
with a Romans. I don't know about Ansbury, whenever I say that phrase, I have a little picture of a kind of... Yeah, yeah, me too. Well, it makes, it makes them sound jocular, doesn't it? But actually, uh, it does actually yes. They're yes. so insecure, it makes yes. them even more violent. Yes, yes. He doesn't He doesn't have a lot of natural power. But he's, ob- well, he's obviously able to arrest people and kill them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. No, actually, fair point, mm-hmm. Jim. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Unless he's doing that with the approval or the instruction of the Romans. You don't get that impression, though, do you? Well, the, the Romans have this way of working, though, don't we? Which is kind of pay us our taxes, make sure you generally stay loyal to the empire, mm-hmm. and we'll let you get on with it. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of the kind of Pax Romana thing, isn't yeah. it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Kind of leave people to govern. Yeah. So, so he is he is in his um, his small domain, nonetheless um, mm-hmm. powerful. And and I I think it's it's interesting that in verse two of chapter twelve, you had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword, and that's that's all that's said about that. And I felt I feel a little bit sorry about mm-hmm. that because he's he was he has been a significant player, James, the brother of John. It's the son of thunder. It's you know the one who questions whether they would sit at the right hand of of Jesus. The Mount of Transfiguration. Mount he's of Transfiguration. He's one of the close yeah. friends of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. one of the three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, one of the original fishermen. Yes, if you Old. said to Jesus, who are your very, very closest friends? He'd probably say, well, I don't have favourites. But then you would say, well, it's probably Peter, James and John. That yeah. They're the yeah. ones that you connect with the most. Yeah, yeah. And um, one of them. And so, yes, and so he's, he is, you know, as we've seen with Simon, sorry, with Stephen, rather, uh, he's he's martyred for his faith, mm. which which is must be, let's just face it, a terrifying thing to, mm-hmm. to know is happening. Um, for the the church in Jerusalem, and um, there's a there's a kind of sense in verse three, isn't there? You know, he saw that this met with approval, so he you know he's kind of pushing the boundary. Yeah, let's do ahead, more. Mm-hmm. Let's do more. So he, he proceeds to to seize is it Peter? Um, is it significant that it happened during the festival of the unleavened bread? There's been there'd be lots of people around, so it was a show. But of is there a sense that he's arresting him and keeping him in prison and making very careful, making it very sure that there's no escape possible. He's got so many soldiers mm-hmm. around him. Mm-hmm. Um, Total overkill. And he does say mm-hmm. he wants to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So it's like yeah. I'm, he's going to choose the best moment. In fact, mm-hmm. we know someone else who was crucified during the Passover, don't we? Yeah. Is, it, is, it a, is, that, is he trying to reflect that? You know, look what happened to him. This is going to happen mm-hmm. to you as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But God's also a sense that weak rulers like to burnish support for their position by finding someone that everybody can attack yes they're the problem let's get them and i think there's something about herod's weakness which is then going to show up later on in the incident at the end yeah yeah so peter's in prison the church is earnestly praying it yes i read somewhere that it was the natural atmosphere of the church to be praying they were doing what Mm. they always did Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Which we've come across often, haven't we, in Acts? Yes, yes, that's right, that's right. Although there's going to be an irony to that later on. You know, they're all fervently praying. Let's see what happens if this prayer might get answered. Yeah, <laughs> you actually miss what's really happening. So, yeah, so so what do we make of this this account? There's, there's, there's all sorts of things going on here. There's an angel involved. Yeah. I'd like to talk about angels. There's there's reference to it must be his angel. I'm I'm intrigued by that. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's Peter's response to what's happening to him. Yeah, so so he's in prison. He's it almost feels like God sets it up, doesn't it? It's like I don't want to. Well, does this sound facetious? It's like the escapologist just adding more and more chains around mm-hmm. the box. You know, it's not just one guard; it's two guards who are sleeping next to him. There's how many squads? 
Is it four, four squads? Four, four squads. squads. Four. So it's everything in the middle of this prison. There's no way he's getting out. And then suddenly this angel appears. He's sleeping. I like the fact as well um, that he's able to sleep. You know, that's a trick mm, he's learned uh-huh. from Jesus, how, uh-huh. to sleep yes. in, how to sleep in dangerous places. Yes. And a, then the angel appears, taps him on the side, and woke him, although we're about to, to find out he's not that awake. Get up quickly. And then here's my, fa- here's my favorite line. And it's just because I misread it. So the angel said to him, fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> I didn't actually say that. He said, fasten your belt. But I love that image. Fasten your belt. Get on your sandals. We're going to go somewhere. And they do. They do. They walk out. And then uh, it's only later, then verse 11, that, so they, it's almost sleepwalking. And then, he's, and then he says he came to himself. So you walk out the prison. The mm-hmm. gates seem to flow out. There, there is, by the way, um, one of the, the Chinese Christians, Brother Yun, in his book, The Heavenly Man, tells the story of a prison escape very similar to this. Lots of doors opening. Things like <laughs> that. It's fantastic. It's just great. And they and they walk down the street and then and then the angel's gone oh. and Peter's just kind of left and I, it's a it's a dramatic moment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You can imagine him suddenly thinking, "Blimey, here I am." How did that happen? Yeah, how did that happen? You know, I, I'm picturing it being a deserted street because yeah. it's you know the small hours of the morning. I think it's significant, Jen, in, what, in terms of what you said that they're in the night time they are still up and praying. Yeah, and and also they're not yeah. all sleeping. Peter goes, like if if I if I woke up and. The... <laughs> Like I woke up in Stone Law Road, which is like a couple of blocks away from me. I woke up in Stone Law Road in the middle of the night and realised that I'd, the angel would take me there. You're like, well, I better go home. But he does go home. He goes home to his Christian family. Also, mm-hmm. that made me think, what's happened to Peter's wife? But maybe save that for another time. No, um, that's an maybe, maybe she's there. Maybe she's with him. Maybe she's in this group of believers in this house. And it's also it's a it's a big house. You know, she's got an outer uh-huh. door. You've got an inner courtyard, and there seems to be lots of people there. And that's where he goes uh, mm. immediately. That's where he needs to be with God's people. And to be safe, obviously, because like, I better these soldiers are going to realise what's happened and come and get me. I'll be the first place they come. Yeah. So, so not can I extrapolate from that then? Can I extrapolate from that 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 would be that the, the Mary, the mother of John Mark, that would be the place where the Christians would meet? Mm. I mean, I appreciate there are thousands of Christians because we've, we've heard about that at Pentecost. But, but that would be his, I suppose, his home church, really. Yes. This whole meeting. Mm. Yeah, although interestingly enough, um, James is not there. The head of the church isn't there because he has to get the message. But uh-huh. it, it seems to be a large upper room and that seems to facilitate that. So yeah, it's, it's a relatively good sized house. But mm. I love I love the confusion that ensues. <laughs> I mean, it genuine feels like farce. I, I told this story uh, at the Young People's Camp in the summer and they absolutely loved it. And it, it's so much... You cannot read this but laugh, yeah. you know. She's at the door. Uh-huh. Uh, he's saying it's Peter. She thinks it's his angel. That's her first conclusion. Goes upstairs. All these people praying for Peter. No, to no, be no, released. no, no. Wait a minute. Rhoda doesn't oh. think it's his angel. She knows fine well it's Peter. She oh, just she forget, knows. Just for- Rhoda's... She forgets. Yeah, Rhoda's yeah. smart. Let's yeah. not underestimate Rhoda. She, Rhoda's got it, but she just forgets to open the door. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Yes, I did. Yeah, it's quite there. funny. As everybody yeah. else says, oh, no, you, you're out of your mind. You're out of yeah, your wait. mind. Dear Lord, yeah. dear Lord, please release Peter. Please let him out of prison. Rhoda comes in. Peter's out of prison. No, he's not. <laughs> you know. I know. I know. But I mean, he's persistent. He keeps knocking. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's the subject of farce, isn't it? He's still knocking on the door all the way through. Yeah. And then he and tells then he, them all he, to shush. Because yeah. they're yes. putting themselves at risk because they're all laughing. Yes. Yeah. Messing things yeah. up. Yeah. And then he goes to another place, mm-hmm. and that's 
And that's pretty much that's Peter moving off stage. I like to think he maybe went home to his wife and she said, that's enough, Peter. Yeah. Yeah. You've done with that after that prison incident. It's too close. And it makes you think about the mother-in-law as well. Mm. She's still around. Oh, the one that got healed. Mm -hmm. Can I... Can I just say a little word because this is the last time we'll see him. I I love Paul. I think Paul is misrepresented in a lot of Christian understanding. People don't understand how radical he is. But the the person, the kind of leader in the Gospels I most identify with is Peter. And that's him gone. And I just want well, to say... Doesn't he come back? Briefly. Makes a speech yes. in Acts 15. Yes, he um, does. But, in defence of what Paul said. Yeah, yeah, defence Paul. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. later on in his letters, he'll say um, Paul's letters are difficult, but still read them. Um, <laughs> but a, but yeah, this is him going. I just think he's one of the great characters, and I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful for him. His fallibility, yes. his his passion, um, the fact that he's probably going to keep sharing the gospel. He'll probably end up in Rome at some point. Um, but yeah, this is the last great Peter story. I, I just feel like I'm, I don't know, I'm saying goodbye to. I don't know President Bartlett in the West Wing or something. It's just, <laughs> it's just the great character. He's gone. Yeah, but then that that is also the nature of the Christian life mm-hmm. that that people are rise to prominence for a season and are out of prominence. Yeah, yeah. And that that's 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 good. Mm-hmm. Yes, he, he's at peace with that. He doesn't seem that uh-huh. bothered he's, that he's James not, is the yeah. leader of the church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, yeah. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. That's mm. what yes. matters. All the yes, people come exactly. and go. And on the James point, I like to imagine Peter being the kind of guy who's like, oh, I can't be with the admin of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you knock yourself out, James. You sort it. But I'm off to write a letter. You, you took a long time to get on board, James, but now you're here. If you watch The Chosen, as we've often mentioned, not that much, yes. but the, the, the character of Peter's done brilliantly, I think. And interestingly, mm-hmm. his wife plays a big part in how they've interpreted yeah. this the story of Peter. It's worth a watch. Interesting. I've still not done it. I must, I must do it. I will do it. I'll must do, do it. what? Watch, watch The Chosen. Watch The Chosen. Have you not mm-hmm. watched any of it? No. Well, just the only thing I've watched is the encounter at the, the well, yeah. the woman at the well, and it, it, I was in tears within yeah. about 30 seconds. Mm. That's why, That's why. to be honest, I think I'm hesitant because I know it's going to be quite emotionally. I'm, re- I'm re-watching series one and... Uh, there's, there's this beautiful moment after Jesus heals the the man at the pool and they, the disciples, and there's a big confrontation with the Pharisees and then they come out of the city and the disciples just say to Jesus, why did you do that on the Sabbath? Could you not have waited a few hours? And Jesus just laughs and says, well, sometimes you have to stir the water. This is great. Oh, good. They've done it. They've done the impossible, I think, because famously, screen depictions of Jesus are really hard to mm. do. They they mm-hmm. become really wooden and and two D because people are almost overwhelmed by the the bigness of of the character that they're playing. But they've done it. They, I think it's incredible. The only one that that has moved me to well, less so, but still a lot. Do you remember these ones of puppets? Was it mystery history makers or something like that? There was these puppet Jesuses. Oh, the the the, the Murray Watts one. Um. Miracle, miracle Maker. Yeah, Miracle Maker. Man, that's the one. Miracle yeah, Maker. Yeah. Miracle mm-hmm. Maker. Mm-hmm. Murray, that's Murray Watts' script. Mm. Who's Murray Watts? Mur- Murray, Murray lives in up way, way up in the in the uh, top of Scotland, uh-huh. near John O'Groats, and he was a Riding Lights founder. All right. But phenomenal writer. Mm. This really brilliant good. writer, Murray, and and yeah, 
uh, creates beautiful mm-hmm. theatre yeah. and so on. But yeah, that that's he he wrote the Miracle Maker. I, I love the chosen Jesus because he's so he seems so much fun, and they have mm. wee episodes with him like play, he's playing a catch game with the disciples, but he's not very good at it. Like <laughs> they're all much better than him. <laughs> and he's he's laughing about dropping the ball. Anyway, yeah, that's the, that's the problem with a lot of other Jesuses. You wouldn't want to be with him. Exactly. That uh-huh. the Jesus that's depicted yeah, in yeah, those yeah. things. Uh-huh. The Jesus of the Gospels you want to be with, yeah. and the Jesus that, that we're seeing in the Chosen is someone you'd want to be around. You'd want to, yeah. yeah, and I think that's yeah, that's really important, isn't it? Yeah. Good. Um. So yes, that that's that's with that's us with Peter. Um. Can we can we just go back to the angel thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? It's interesting, isn't it? The angel plays quite a part, but then there's also this thing of his angel. Is that kind of inferring the kind of presence of a guardian angel for yeah. an individual? Which I, I've not something. A guardian angels, I think, are for me are being sort of put in the realm of it's a wonderful life kind of mm-hmm. cultural myth. You know that you've you've got your own angel looking after you, but mm-hmm. here it is. The the, mm-hmm. the early Christians seem to think that's part of what yeah. angels do. I mean, they might not be right. No. Though. Well, Jesus said um, of little children, their angels gaze on the Father in heaven, mm. implying that they had possessed mm-hmm. some sort mm-hmm. of an angel. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Uh, sorry, that was just a slight aside. I was just intrigued by that. So, and then we have a we have something terrible with the guards. Those sixteen guards mm. are executed yeah. Um, yeah. by Herod, but then Herod himself has a bit of a comeuppance. Yeah, it's very he, unpleasant, he really. And he's eaten by worms. But it's at the moment at which he seems quite happy to be proclaimed a god and for uh-huh. such a small man uh-huh. to do that. It's almost a sign of, of who he is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, there seems to be a sense of, well, there is a, a sense of, I don't know, kind of justice that it's the way it happens. Yeah. And this may be a bit, a bit graphic. I know, Fiona, you won't like this, but apparently intestinal worms, if they get really bad... Can cause blockages, and then you you vomit up the up the worms. So I'm not mm. saying this isn't. Go- I mean, it says here the angels Lord struck him down, but what the people are mm-hmm. seeing could be a. He had had worms for a very long time. He wasn't well, but whatever, ever, irrespective of what the cause is, he dies a horrible death. Yeah, in a yeah. in a situation where, as you say, Neil, he's, he's saying it's all about me. Yeah, yeah, he's happy to to go yeah. that way. But, verse 24, mm. the word of the mm-hmm. Lord continued to spread and flourish. All that effort of heredity. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What a waste. All that effort nothing. of all the Herods, all yeah. their power, yeah, all their violence, and mm-hmm. they, they never achieved what they wanted to do. Mm. Yeah. We're going to leave it there for today. Uh, what are your takeaways? I was very struck, Jen, by the, the, the quote you had about the, what was it, the normal? Natural atmosphere. Natural atmosphere of of prayer. Mm. That's, I found that quite challenging. Mm. I want to think a bit more about angels. Quite like a guardian angel. Yeah. You may already have one. Well, maybe I have. I'm looking around the room. Um, I think there was one point in my life when I did think about angels a bit. But maybe, maybe I need to do a wee bit of research in the Bible about. Yeah, yeah and then Neil told that story recently yes. about David yes. Easton, who used to be the minister at my yes. home church, who ha- whose father had an encounter with an angel in South America. Yes, I think it's the, it's the guardian angel question that's the that's the one that comes up for me here. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I, yeah. I'm I'm fully 
on board with with angel angelic intervention but it's the, the idea of a personal angel i find interesting what was that film where all the angels were standing around the tops yes. of the roof yes um what was the, I know the, the film? I know city, the, of... city of angels city of angels city of angels but it was based on mm-hmm. a german film i think wasn't it um and they were all in libraries. That's what I—that's my memory of it. <laughs> that was great. I've, I've just got—I've got Sarah McLaughlin going through my head now. She's a singer. She's... Yeah, Canadian singer with a song "Angel." It's—it's it's not so much recently, but the, there was a period that was quite, played quite often ah, at funerals. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we're distracted by contem- contemporary angel. Yes. Pers- so like nativity plays when angels look like yes. fairies. And the girls with tinsel and I mean this and, guy, and also a there's guy. a spiritual there's a thread of new age spirituality that's very much yeah. built around angels. I think yeah. I think that could so, be unhelpful. So this but this angel, non gender specific, um, angel who rocks up in this in the cell, they've they're sorted, they're powerful, mm-hmm. they're they can make things mm-hmm. happen. And they're quite practical as yeah. well. Get your as you say, belt up, get out of here. <laughs> Great. So you're gonna think about that. I'm going to think about this um, constant atmosphere of prayer. Neil, what's your takeaway? The Barnabas love. Oh, good. That both of you have espoused. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. Well, um, that is us for today. Uh, next time we are talking about Acts 12, 25 through to fourteen twenty-eight. But before we finish, Jen... What's the gen? What's the gen? Trying to keep up with reports, trends, research findings and the latest thoughts? No time to read or listen to all that valuable content? Look no further. What's the gen will keep you up to date, in touch and on the ball. What's the gen? Your guide to current thinking. A bit of research on peer evangelism among young people, which I think in the 1980s we probably talked about quite a lot, but not come across it so much recently. This is done in the last five years by Alpha, SU England and Wales, Church Army, Church of England and Hope Together. There's quite a lot of people involved in this research. Um, I'll keep it kind of short. I just want to bring out some challenges for us as churches in helping young people share the faith. So um, that it's probably true, I would say, that our youth groups, if we've got one in a church, have become increasingly about retaining young people that we have and supporting them and giving them that space to follow Jesus. I can see that in my own youth group, and that is a very good thing. But where in that, in our work, are we asking how we reach out, open the doors, a bit like the church in Antioch, and how we help young people be central to that? And then the need to talk about sharing faith with our young people, because the research showed that um, young people were actually fairly confident about sharing sharing their faith, uh, but they needed support to do that and to understand what it looked like and how to help them see themselves as influencers, not just by what they say, but what they do and how they live their lives, a bit like Barnabas, actually. So I said, without knowing, because obviously I'd prepared the passage, I think there's quite a lot of connection in this research about young people sharing their faith with their peers in what we've just read. Um, so I've, we'll put the link up. Um, there's a lot more to it, but worth a read. Fantastic. I think. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you both very much for joining us. Next time, we're off on a journey around the Mediterranean, so pack your sunscreen and bring your passport. Or maybe more realistically, read Acts chapter 12, 25 through to 14, 28. Join us then. The Outspoken Bible is a podcast from Scottish Bible Society. To find ways you can share the Bible, go to scottishbiblesociety.org.